This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, December 5th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenk are working from back in Connecticut. I'm Buster only working in Montana. The winter meetings are taking place in Nashville, and so far, Taylor, very little of substance has happened in terms of move, which is why we get reports like the Blue Jays are believed to have met <laughs> with Shohei Otani. Everyone waiting for Otani. Everybody waiting for Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who's going to start meeting with teams next week. What the, do you think? The absolute like dustiest of scraps of news right here. They he, they he might have met with the Blue he Jays. He may like, have met with wow. the Blue Jays. Let's overreact to the possibility that he might have met with the Blue Jays. It's the off season. <laughs> we are thirsty, Buster. That's where we're, oh. we're at right now. Man, when when uh, Otani signs and Yamamoto signs, it's going to be like a deluge. Oh yeah, you have like 250 players waiting to sign with other teams, and it feels like all the agents trying to increase their leverage are just going to wait for the big guys to come off the board. All right, some other news and notes as we go forward. And today we're going to be talking with Tim Kirkchin. Uh, we're going to be talking with Paul Embicati. Sarah Langs is going to join us as well. Los Angeles Dodgers manager Dave Roberts said on Monday that all-star Mookie Betts is going to become the Dodgers' everyday second baseman next season. He'll occasionally play in the outfield as needed. Tigers manager A.J. Hinch has been signed to a long-term contract extension. Terms were not disclosed. Uh, Major League Baseball is going to hold off on implementing some new rules that will uh, work against salary dumps like we saw the Angels do at the end of August. This uh, topic was actually brought up in the general manager's meetings last month. There wasn't, uh, unanimous, uh, there wasn't a unanimous uh, view in the room about what to do with the situation. As we talked about back in August, a lot of people queasy about the idea of teams who are out of the race suddenly dumping a bunch of players like bad fantasy football owners. Uh, but there will not be a change to the rules in 2024. The Seattle Mariners having to dump their payroll, cut their payroll back, traded outfielder Jared Kelnick and others to the Atlanta Braves. This is in the aftermath of that deal, A. Eugenio Suarez being traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Longtime manager Jim Leland was selected to the Hall of Fame in voting over the weekend. He was named on 15 of 16 ballots, and he was so happy when the news came down. It was going to be possibly from 6.30 to 7.15 was the time frame. And about 10, or six, 10 minutes to 7, I left the family room with my family and went up to lie on the bed a little bit, thinking about it, and figuring that I probably did not make it. Uh, my wife and my son were coming up the stairs just when I got the call. And uh, my wife and my son heard a lady's voice on the other end. My wife said, who is that? <laughs> I said, it's Jake from State Farm. That's <laughs> yeah, so here's a guarantee. When Jim Leland makes his speech at the Hall of Fame in the upcoming summer, he's going to cry because Jim Leland, in a great way, is a crier. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers reached an $82 million deal with a 19-year-old who has not played a day in the big leagues, Jackson Chureto. Uh, who is considered to be the number two prospect in all of baseball 
getting that eight-year, $82 million deal. It could grow to $142.5 million, depending on whether or not the Brewers exercise long-term options at the end of the contract. The Reds, Nick Martinez agreed to a $26 million two-year deal. Luis Severino uh, last week uh, joined the Mets one year, $13 million. The Marlins are close to finishing a, uh, an agreement in which Gabe Kapler is going to join the front office as an assistant general manager. And a longtime reliever, Joe Kelly, is going to go back to the Dodgers, one-year deal, $8 million. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, do you have any ideas about what we could talk about on the college football podcast, college game day with Reese Davis I don't and know. Pete Is anything? I mean, it's kind of a boring time in college football. No one's really talking about anything but college football. Regular season. All right. Over. We're obviously kidding. Who, who? What decision should have been made in your mind? Is Florida State, should they have gotten in? Uh, yeah, probably. But I think the committee made the right decision. I'm fine with it. You know, ultimately. they don't, They got. It's a weird thing. It's like they got jobbed, but also like... They were right. Like Florida State probably would have gotten run over by Michigan, but probably we'll never know. But and, and it's also a weird thing because this discussion goes away next year. Like it's all Florida State's going to be in. There'll be more teams in and, and this whole thing's moot. I just like the idea of putting you on a T right there mm-hmm. so that America could come back at you. Because no matter <laughs> what you were to say, if you give an opinion on this matter, you're going to get hammered by somebody. Right. Oh, yeah. So I think in this podcast, we need to ask Sarah Langs, the nicest person on earth. What she would have done with her uh, college football picks. What do you think? Oh, you know what? I, th- I think that's a great idea, Buster. She'll, it's going to force her to say something bad about someone and you someone, know, <laughs> someone, know maybe, she's maybe have an opinion. It's going to make somebody else mad. I, we we got to coax her into doing that. All right. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Uh, Tim Kirkchen covers baseball for ESPN, and that week, uh, this uh, this week, that means being back in Bristol uh, to talk baseball, uh, to talk about all the moves that are being made during the winter meetings, Tim, or to talk about the moves that are not being made, which is what the winter meetings are so far. Yeah, it's been a weird meetings for me, Buster. My first one was in 1982, and there's no substitute for being there, as you know, and it's just I just feel so detached here, but. The lesson always is with the winter meetings, Buster, and you covered a million of them also, is uh, there's no telling what's going to happen here. Just when you think nothing's going to happen, everything explodes. And just when you think everything's going to explode, nothing happens. So we should not be surprised with what's happened so far. And it it just seems fairly obvious that nothing really big is going to happen until Shohei Otani signs somewhere. It just seems to me that so many things are being held up until we find out where he's going to go. So we'll see some deals and some signings in the next few days, I would guess. But until Shohei goes, I'm not sure we're going to see anything massive happen. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen at a winter meeting? Okay, Uh, craziest deal, craziest situation, drunken sports writer singing at a bar. Uh, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, there there have been a lot of them. Um, Paul Owens, the former general manager of the Phillies and the former manager of the Phillies, was at at the bar late one night in his coat and tie. And they got in a big argument over someone and he showed everyone how to do a hook slide in the bar at one thirty in the morning while dressed in a coat and tie. That's when general managers used to stay out late and you know uh paul owens also called the philadelphia beat writers to tell them at like two o'clock in the morning that we just got Suter in a trade and he was they thought he meant bruce Suter in his prime and it was i think blake Suter was his name and they acquired him and he woke everyone up just as a as a big joke so it used to be buster that you know roland heeman in hollywood florida actually put up a sign in the lobby saying open for business and he was the <laughs> he was the white Sox general manager and by the end of the night he said he made three deals my first spring training buster was in 82 in hawaii i swear to god i never left the hotel because it's my first year on the beat i'm afraid to leave like i'm gonna miss something i didn't even it could have been held in iowa it wouldn't have mattered because i was afraid to leave the lobby because every general manager was in the lobby they were just walking around there they were now you never even see a general manager in the lobby now, you and I have never talked about this, but I'm sure that I passed you in the lobby in Nashville in 1983. I was a sophomore at Vanderbilt. Uh, I went out there. Uh, Peter Gammons was the biggest hero of my life. I'd read him every Sunday in the Boston Globe. And so the idea of, of getting to lay eyes on Peter Gammons and to hang out with reporters, it was I was in awe. Uh, I remember at those winter meetings. They were much more laid back then. They were mu- it felt like much more access. You think about what's going on this year. I sent out a note yesterday about how the Dodgers traveling party, Tim, isn't even at the Gaylord Hotel. The Dodgers have basically decided, 
we don't want to be there. Now, you know, maybe it's uh, better accommodations and the other place they're going. Maybe it's because of the bottleneck. Uh, the fact that, you know, there are job seekers there. There are a lot of knuckleheads like me standing around. Maybe they've just gotten to the point, the modern day front offices, where they just don't want to deal with any of that. Right. And with all the technology, with your computer and your cell phone, you, no one talks face to face hardly anymore anyway. So you don't have to go meet in somebody's suite in order to make a deal. And as you know, the Gaylord Hotel, and I love that place, but it's impossible to get around. Steve Phillips told this story the other day. I can't confirm it, but that Kevin Towers, our dear friend Kevin Towers, was going, I think it was to Dan Evans's room to make a trade, Padres, Dodgers, and Kevin got lost in the Gaylord Hotel. It took him like an hour to find Dan Evans's room, and by the time he got there, the, the player was no longer available because he couldn't get there because he couldn't find his way through the maze of the Gaylord Hotel. Only That could only happen there. Yeah, and th there's no doubt that finding your way through that particular hotel it is it is work it it felt like uh even though i lived in nashville for a lot of years when i would cover winter meetings i would walk myself through uh you know the path that i would take either to the media room or to the front desk and i would do it again tim over and over just to make sure that i had it down because i just thought to myself boy in a crunch if i have a hit on sports center i do not want to be late and I want to make sure I know exactly where I'm going. I know that sounds silly unless you've been in that hotel. Yes. Yes. Again, it's the hardest hotel I've ever tried to cover the winter meetings. And I think the executives love it because they can hide out. And you can't find them. And again, I repeat, Buster, in 82, every general manager was in the same room. And now you never see any general manager because, frankly, they don't want to be seen by dopes like you and me. Right. Well, as you know, you, you mentioned Shohei Otani. He's the talk of the winter meetings. Uh, there was all kinds of reporting last night that, uh, you know, he may have had it, may or may not have had a meeting with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, the Blue Jays front office was not in Nashville, and that's being read as, you know, it's because they were meeting with Otani. I kind of, as I was processing all that information, I'm like, yeah. We're focused on the Blue Jays in this moment because that's the team we know he's met with. <laughs> like, he may be going through a process right now where he's doing the same thing with the Giants, with the Dodgers, with other clubs. It's just that because we know that the Blue Jays are involved, and we've known that for weeks, actually, then we're focused on them in the moment. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And because this is the biggest free agent story in the history of free agency, there is no way around that, that all we want is just a morsel of information. And we're not getting it from Otani or his group or anything else, which I understand why when you're this big, you don't want anything getting out. I, I think it would be really good for the sport, though. If we, you know, could go a blow by blow. All right. He met with the Blue Jays yesterday. Maybe today he's meeting with the Cubs tomorrow with the Angels, then the Dodgers, then, you know, the Giants. And then we would at least be able to try to keep up on this. But the secrecy, which has been part of Otani's entire career, especially with the media, um, is holding things up a little bit here. I don't blame him. But I sure think it would be a lot more fun if we knew where he is at all times. And that's simply not going to happen.
All right. You, you, uh, you say you understand. I'm not, I, I don't feel the same way. I think it's kind of stupid. I think there's a lot of paranoia here unnecessarily because the guy's going to get the biggest contract in the history of the sport, Tim. Doesn't matter whether or not some idiot knows where he is or not where he is. Teams want him. He's getting great offers, getting great opportunities. Told the story last week about how after he got the MVP award, he's sitting there with that little dog. And in the press conference that he did, nobody asked him the name of the dog. So I reached out to various people and said, look, I just want to know, you know, what's the dog's name? And I got back. We're not prepared to release that at this time. (laughs) Okay, Tim, to me, it was a classic example of somebody needs to lighten up here. Like, and I don't know, is it his agent, Nez Balela? Is it Otani? But somebody needs to lighten up, have a little fun with this thing. It's not that big of a deal. Right. I, I agree. Adam Adovino did baseball tonight with us last night. And he said on the air, and he was great, by the way, unbelievably comfortable for a guy who'd never done the show before. And he just said, look, just tell us where you're going. It's it's not that big of a deal. And he and obviously it's holding up other things. And there are major league players out there waiting. Again, it would be such a great thing for baseball if it were announced today that Otani is going to visit with the Giants today. And now now everyone in San Francisco is excited about that. And then everyone in L.A. tomorrow, they get their time with Otani. That's a good thing for baseball, not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, let's play it out a little bit. What do you think about the possibility of Otani being with the Jays? It makes sense to me that the Jays would consider it. They've got essentially two years left in this window before uh, Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. become eligible for free agency. I think you would, would agree with me that 2023 was a, a tremendous disappointment. Uh, their lineup underperformed. They're looking for a jolt. Um, you know, And I think that the pressure is increasing in Toronto for Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, the leadership, to generate more success. So it makes sense to me that they would go after him. I still have my doubts he'll actually go. But I understand why they're making the why they're executing the pursuit. What about you? And they have a lot of money. We keep hearing how much money the Blue Jays have and they've been waiting to spend it at the proper time. This is the proper time. And Buster, I disagree mildly. I don't think their offense underperformed. I just don't think they're that good of an offensive team. They didn't have a cleanup hitter last year. Everyone blasted Vlad Guerrero for not hitting 40. He didn't even hit 30. Well, go look. I think they had 11 different cleanup guys last year. They need another hitter in the middle of the order that can do severe damage. And that's what Otani could do for one season and then maybe pitch in 2025 and DH when he's not pitching. So I, I think they need to make a splash. I think they need to do something dramatic because they've showed the last two years, they're good enough to make the playoffs and that's it. And that's simply not good enough when you have this kind of collection of players. So I'm going to give you a fun puzzle. I love doing these lineup questions. If they were to sign Otani, you've got George Springer, you've got Bo Bichette, you've got Vlad Jr., you've got Otani. Arrange those four, Tim, because I'm going to tell you wrong when you give us the lineup. Well, you're going to tell me wrong even if I come up with the same one that you do. I would go Springer first. I would go Bichette second. I would hit Otani third, and I would hit Vladdy fourth. Again, Vladdy had nobody hitting behind him last year, and I guess they need to come up with a fifth hitter. But I want 
Bichette up. I mean, I want Otani up in the first inning no matter what. And granted, he could hit leadoff first, second, third, or fourth. I'd hit him third. That's how I would go. All right. I would go, and we had Paul Imbikides on last week, explain to us the huge impact that Otani has on hitters around him in the lineup. Mike Trout was a different hitter when he had Otani batting behind him. You know, this is an all-time great player. I would go Vladdy leadoff, Otani two, Bichette three, and Springer four. And here's my rationale. You're 100% right. Vladdy never had somebody hitting behind him. Imagine how he would benefit from that. He led the league hitting into double plays a couple of years ago. He's among the, the league leaders again last year. You would essentially reduce that by 20% if you hit him in the leadoff spot. Bo Bichette, if you hit him third, he's going to be take the same approach like Corey Seager is no matter where he hits in the lineup. Would you agree with me there? Like He's going to be aggressive, and he's going to get his share of hits. So I'm going to use the protection to help Vladdy. I'm hitting Vladdy leadoff, uh, and then I'm hitting Otani two, Bichette three, and George Springer four. Tell me why I'm wrong. No, I, I can't because lineups just aren't the way aren't constructed the same way. So Vlad Guerrero hitting fourth when you got two other really good leadoff guys, Bichette and Springer. But I'm with you on Bichette. I, I love the way he approaches things. You know, a couple of years ago in the playoffs, he told me that that you know, some of the guys in the organization came to him and said, you're swinging way too much. You have to stop swinging at so many pitches. So he went through the worst six-week period of his career, he told me, where he couldn't he couldn't hit anymore because it was in his head, don't swing, don't swing. Then he said, I said, oh, screw it. I'm going to just start hitting again. And he got 48 hits in September, 48 in a month because he went back to his style. That's the way he hits. And if Vladdy's on and Otani's on, he's going to drive in 130 runs. All right. Well, I, again, I, I think you agree with it. It's always fun to think about what lineups like yeah. might look like. You know, you, you know, what would the Dodgers do with Freddie Freeman and Betts and Otani? That, that, that would be a lot of fun, too. Uh, all right. Juan Soto. Uh, he is being talked about by teams. He's a future Hall of Famer. The, I don't think there's any question that with a projected salary of about $33 million, the Padres are going to have to trade him. Uh, the Yankees and the Padres have had talks. We heard at the end of last week that they broke off because the, the Yankees considered the, you know, the Padres' uh, request to be too high. You and I, Tim, have seen this type of situation play out over and over and over again. You have a superstar player a year away from free agency, and suddenly the team that is looking to deal him is saying, boy, the offers are not as good as what we thought they were going to be, and so they wait. That's what the Red Sox did with Mookie Betts. That's what the Twins did with Johan Santana. That's what the Guardians did with Francisco Lindor. And then late January, early February, reality begins to creep in and they go, okay, we got to make a deal. Uh, and in the end, whatever the deal is, we're all going to look at it and say, what, for Juan Soto, for a future Hall of Famer, that's not that much. But the fact is, is that the Padres don't have a lot of leverage because they're not a lot of teams lined up to pay a lot for a guy who's got one year of control represented by Scott Boris, who's going to go into free agency. Yes. Right. Buster, the one-year control is the biggest factor here. Why would you trade five young players to get a guy who you know you only have for one year, and then he's definitely going to free agency because he, he showed that three years ago when he turned down $440 million from the Nationals. We all knew he was going to free agency. And yet, 
you look at the other side of this, the Yankees, the Yankees have to do something, but they, yes. they can't mortgage the entire future to get Juan Soto for one year and then not be guaranteed to sign him. It would be one thing if they gave up five young players knowing, well, we're going to have this guy for 10 years. But when you when you know, you're not sure if you can only have him for one year, that changes everything. Yeah, the two teams I think are best positioned to make a deal with the Padres, one, the Yankees, and two, the Giants, if they get involved. Uh, and maybe they're going to wait for Otani's situation to play out. But both those teams have starting pitching depth. They have a fourth, fifth, sixth starter who's relatively cheap that they can move. And that's what the Padres need if they're going to try to contend next year. Uh, Yoshinobu uh, Yamamoto, uh, I keep on hearing the estimates from agents about what he's going to get. In, in the, as a final contract, that just is growing by the day to the point that yesterday I had an agent, Tim, tell me he thinks he's going to get $300 million, the second biggest contract in the history of baseball, because you just don't see 25-year-old free agents. Right. And, you know, I think he, I think it started it like he's going to get $200 million, and we all went, oh, my God, he's never pitched in the big leagues. He's going to get $200 million. And I've heard similar things. Now he's up to $300 million. But you're right. The age here is the most important thing. A 25-year-old pitcher who's ready, apparently, to be the ace of staff for maybe the next 10 years. So he's going to get an enormous amount of money, and it doesn't look like he's going anywhere until at least next week. So, again, we, we just have to be patient with all these signings because just – even if Otani goes today, which I can't see happening, doesn't mean Yamamoto is going to go tomorrow. He's going to take his time and he's going to get a ton of money before he's done. And he's got meetings scheduled with a lot of teams. So we're at least a week away from uh, him moving closer to making a decision. On the other hand, the Seattle Mariners, one of the teams affected by these regional sports networks issues, they're cutting their payroll. This team of great promise is reducing its payroll it's having a, a significant impact on what they do this winter. They essentially have had to dump money, A. Eugenio Suarez, Jared Kelnick, Marco Gonzalez, et cetera, in order to create flexibility to make additions. I find it to be kind of sad, Tim. Yeah, I do too, because I was with the Mariners quite a bit at the end of two years ago when they made the playoffs, first time since 2001. The place was rocking. That team was really fun to be around. And now they look like a different team. Jared Kelnick has a chance to still be a really good hitter. And the Braves are probably going to unlock him, and we're going to see how good he is. The Suarez move is the one that really confuses me, Buster. Look, I know he strikes out 200 times a year, but he also hits the ball out of the ballpark. He's a demonstrably better defensive player than he was three years ago. And he is the emotional team leader. In Seattle, those guys love him. Everything revolves around him, and now he's gone. So, yes, they can go out in the free agent market you know, and sign Mitch Garver or some other people who can hit some home runs and everything else, but they're not going to replace his presence uh, in the clubhouse and on the field. That's how important he was, and I'm confused. Look, I understand they have to cut payroll, but I'm not sure starting with the third baseman was the best place to start. I love the Braves investment in Jared Kelnick at age 24. I, I, you know, when I look at him now dropped into the bottom of that lineup with the Braves, no pressure on him whatsoever. Uh, I, I thought this was a great and savvy investment by Alex Athopoulos. What about you? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, Alex is so good at this. I had a general manager tell me the other day, Alex will always, always, always be the first one to make a move. And essentially, he was again this year. And you're right. He can hit eighth in that lineup now. And he doesn't even have to play against the most difficult left-handers because they have Vaughn Grissom who could fill in in left field and make it easier for him. I'm telling you, Buster, two springs ago, that guy found something. The light went on. And even though we didn't see it consistently through the major league season, dude, that, that kid's going to hit someday. I'm certain of that. And Atlanta's a perfect landing spot. Give me the teams under pressure in your eyes now as we move into day two of the uh, second full day of the winter meetings. Well, the Giants certainly are one, Buster, because, as you know, they missed out on Aaron Judge. They missed out on Carlos Correa. They are a team without a star. They were a very average team last year without, you know, a, you know, a big, heavy load carrier in the middle of the order. And that's what they have to do. Or go get another great starting pitcher. They're one. I think the, the most pressure, though, is on the Yankees because of the division yeah. that they're in. They barely finished over 500. they They're in on Yamamoto. They're not, as of now, in on Otani. They have to be in on Soto. If they come out of this offseason without a huge deal being made for one of these guys, I, I think people in New York are going to go, what are we doing? Are we really trying here? And that's why I think Soto fits best. And your boy, Phil Hughes, who we all love because he's funny and he's smart. He said, you know, Soto would hit 20 homers to right field by accident in, at Yankee Stadium. I mean, and there's some truth there. You talk about where would he rather hit San Francisco or Yankee Stadium. I think Soto would rather hit at Yankee Stadium. You know, and I, what I love about the Yamamoto uh, uh, situation is it's the first time, Tim, that we have ever seen the Yankees and the Mets go hard after the same player. You know, we, we've had, you and I have seen cycles where the Mets are the preeminent team in the city and they're the biggest spending team. And we've seen cycles where the Yankees, uh, you know, have been that team. This is the first time I can remember the Yankees and the Mets going after the same elite free agent at the same time. And the question I have because I think, you know, David Stearns, you're paying him, whatever, 60 to $75 million in that contract. I'm sure that Steve Cohen's going to defer to him to a high degree. Will David Stearns, in his first year in New York, have the stomach to go to the places where the oxygen is really thin? $300 million on one pitcher. Because I, I, I felt like over Heim Bloom's time with the Red Sox, yeah, he went from the Rays to Boston and he had more resources theoretically, but I don't think he was ever necessarily comfortable with that. And I'm wondering about that with David Stearns. And maybe he is. Maybe because he grew up in New York, he is going to be comfortable putting out that big contract. But that, to me, is the most fascinating element of the Yamamoto bidding. Right. And that's why Yamamoto might end up with the second biggest contract to Garrett Coles for a pitcher ever is because the Yankees and the Mets are involved and they both are desperate to add somebody big. And this might be the biggest guy for each team. So, and they have to keep up with the other in town, of course. So, uh, and I think David Stearns is not going to be bothered by the thin air for precisely what you said. This is where he grew up. They brought him in to save the Mets, his hometown team. I don't think he's going to, to worry about boy that's a lot of money to give a 25 year old pitcher he's gonna say we got to do something dramatic and we got to do it now last one before you go i'm gonna bring in taylor schwenk the big orioles fan taylor can you update us on the big moves that the orioles have made to augment this great collection of young players they have 
that was it. That was the update. There's no update, Buster. <laughs> Although Mike Elias, he's doing, he's tempering our, he's doing our be- his best to temper our expectations now. Like, don't, ah, uh, you know, we could outbid anyone, but we don't know that we want to. Starting pitchers don't grow on trees. That was all in his press uh-huh. conference yesterday. Cool man. Yeah, I know. I remember last winter when he talked about significant growth in the payroll, which was going to happen organically because of arbitration. Tim, I could see you want to chime in. Well, I, I'm just telling you the the Orioles free agency for next year is going to be Jackson Holiday. They're going to say this is our new player and we don't have to pay anything for him because he's in our system. That's how they're going to justify not doing anything major. We are going to bring up the best kid in the in the entire minor league system, put him in at shortstop every day and we're going to still win that way. But I'm with you Buster, they still have to add somebody else. Let's not forget, this was not a great offensive team down the stretch or in the three games that they played against the Rangers. I think they need another hitter, and I think they could use another pitcher also. Oh, it would be a crime if the one of the most talented cores in baseball was not added to by ownership. That, that would be a crime. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster, thank you. See you, Taylor. See you, Sarah. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com. Dot com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo, of course, is Paul Lambikidi. He's the right-hand man for Mike Greenberg, and it's good that we're talking to him after his radio show because it gave us about another 90 minutes to wait to see if anything is going to happen in these winter meetings uh, you know, Hembo, so far, no. I, I, we were joking at the top of the show that this is how dry it is so far at the winter meetings. The big report is, is that the Blue Jays were believed to have met with Shohei Otani. <laughs> um, Besser, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've been covering this stuff for a lot longer than I have. But it feels to me like what we used to do was sort of allow these sort of mega contract type free agents, like the heaviest hitters. These guys would often set the market in, in November and December. Yeah. And what happens now is that those guys and their representation it seems that they prefer to wait till, in some cases, even February or March to sort of string out the line. I mean, that could just be an anecdotal perception of mine. But from where you sit, do you see kind of a, a clear and obvious strategy change with some of the you know the highest price free agents and the way that's evolved over the years? I'd say this. I think it's it's taking longer for teams to set their budgets. You know, when they get word and you know, the re- most recent example, of this is the Seattle Mariners who didn't find out till their front office until mid September or mid uh, November that their budget was going to be cut back. So teams do or, excuse me, agents do have to wait for teams to get clarity on what their budgets are going to be. 
but I think the big thing is, is that everyone now in this world of analytics, and I'm not criticizing the analytics or the, you know, the study of it, but everyone is so intent on getting every last piece of information. It makes them go slower. I'm, I mean, just think of Heim Bloom running the Red Sox. That's kind of what the industry has become, just this slow, very careful, very methodical, which has dragged things out. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I, I think um, I think if I were running a team, that might be the way that I would behave. But as someone who works in the media, that's been an abjectly bad thing for baseball. Yes. You know, pl- player movement in other sports is, in some cases, more interesting than the games themselves. Baseball's winter meetings should be headline stuff. And the biggest news we have are things like Wade Miley signing a one-year deal. And maybe Shohei Otani has heard of the city of Toronto and some such you know, some such nonsense. So I, I wish we were living in a world in which teams and, and players and their agents acted with more conviction, knowing that this day was coming all along. Let's not pretend like these players and their agents and these teams didn't have the free agent list until November 1st. They've had years to aggregate their plans for what they're going to do this offseason. Yeah. And I also feel like, especially in the case of Otani, as we spin toward him right now, uh, I, I don't feel like that. <laughs> it's not like you need deep analytics and something that's going to be, I mean, the guy is the most unique player in the history of baseball and it's going to cost a lot of money, right? It's not like you need a poker game. I, I you know, my joke has been, okay. Uh, you know, it, 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 I, you know, an agent who has to extract a two-year deal for Paul Embikides, right? That that takes strategy. That takes moxie. That takes a poker game. Not if right. you're representing Otani. Yeah, it's not like the Blue Jays. It's not like the Blue Jays have a guy that, like, you know, called the GM last week and said, "Oh, guy, uh, by the way, uh, this guy also pitches." <laughs> like we've known, <laughs> we, we've known all the things that we've needed to know. Yeah, so you could hear Hembo suddenly his voice change right there. That's because the room that he's in. Uh, suddenly the dark, the lights went out. From my perspective, it was kind of funny, Hembo. <laughs> yes, of course, because you just made fun of me for how difficult uh, difficult it would be to get me a two-year deal. I mean, it would be hard to get me a 10-day, so I think you definitely <laughs> sold me too high. All right. Uh, what do you got on Otani? What are your thoughts on Otani? So I actually think that Shohei Otani's first, you know, free agency in in air quotes could actually be somewhat instructive. So I went back and I read the 2017 piece, Buster, that, that you contributed to when he signed with the Angels. And what it said in that piece was that the Cubs, the Rangers, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Padres, and the Mariners were all in the running. And the Rangers and the Mariners could have both offered more money than the Angels. This is also a player who, as you point out in that piece, could have received a deal worth more than $100 million if he had just waited two years to move stateside. So, I mean, based on that precedent, I'm not exactly sure that Shohei Otani is going to prioritize the dollar figure first and foremost, considering this is a person that that already eschewed that priority once before in the most similar situation that we have for what he's in right now. The, The second number that's incredibly instructive and important to know when it comes to Otani is that he was baseball's highest paid player this past year if you include all the endorsements and all the off the field stuff. He earned $40 million off the field alone. And that's just what we know. That's just what was reported. So it's not obvious to me that a person of Shohei Otani's celebrity, uh, the person whose name can sell itself the way that his can, 
is going to care that much if some team offers him 510 or 540. I think Shohei Otani has a lot of, I'm just guessing, I don't know, I don't know any of this. I'm guessing that Shohei Otani and his representation have a checklist of demands, many of which have, have nothing to do with how much money is going to be on that contract, because we know that none of his descendants will ever have to work a day in their lives. And we also know that the first time he did this exercise, because of the information on ESPN.com that you reported, it wasn't his first and foremost priority. It was based upon the set of circumstances that he wanted to go into. And at that time, the Angels weren't well run either. The Angels weren't any good either. So I think anyone who is sort of in play is actually in play. And the notion that we should be only looking to winners, places that he could go to right now and win right now, honestly, is kind of a fool's errand based upon that precedent. What do you think? I had an agent tell me yesterday, uh, he said, first off, nobody knows anything, probably including his agent, uh, Nez Vallejo, in terms of what he actually wants. Uh, and the second thing, he, he wonders if he's going to go back to the Angels because he knows that he has such autonomy there. He can do whatever he wants. They don't ask him to do any extra stuff, and they know they're going to pay him a lot of money. And the perception now about Otani is that he chose the Angels because he wanted to be a DH in, the warm, in warm weather which he could do with L.A., uh, with the Dodgers. He could do with the Angels. And, yeah, I guess he could do it indoors in Toronto. But I'm with you. I don't, I don't think it's about dollars. I think I agree with what one of his friends told me. He thinks he's made up his mind months ago. And all we're doing now is literally a dog and pony show based on the dog that appeared uh, next to him at the MVP uh, announcement. <laughs> and, you know, but I just pick an offer. Let's move forward. All right. Uh, you are the only person in the world who doesn't think that the Yankees should go after Juan Soto. What's that about? So I think that Juan Soto is the perfect Yankee. I, I think Juan Soto and Aaron Judge are the perfect people to carry the Yankees through the 2020s because Juan Soto provides the Yankees everything that they don't have and desperately need. He is, in my judgment, inarguably one of the five to ten greatest hitters on the planet right now and historically great hitter when you consider his projection and a player who is about as foolproof as it could possibly come when projecting out the next decade. I mean, he has a profile buster, I think, set from the heavens. I know for sure that this guy's going to rake for the next 10 years because every hitter historically like him has done so. Here's why I don't think that he is the perfect fit for the Yankees. Because I don't think the Yankees are Juan Soto away, at least independent of other things, are Juan Soto away from doing anything. In other words, I don't think that the Yankees are, uh, can view Juan Soto as a change your destiny type piece, because this is a Yankees team that I think is way behind the teams in their divisions. This is an unpopular opinion. This is a non-standard opinion. I acknowledge, but if the Yankees are in position right now to move considerable assets for potentially only one year of Juan Soto, what then happens is that you have to hit this year because if he is hell bent on not return or excuse me, not, not not returning or not signing a contract extension right now, all you're getting yourself is one year of Juan Soto and one year of exclusive negotiating rights. Scott Boris is his agent. The exclusive negotiating rights piece is completely immaterial in my opinion. And what if things go sideways in Yankee land this year? It might wind up being to their detriment that they trade for Juan Soto and lose those assets, which I think they need more than most teams because of the constitution of their division right now. My opinion, the Yankees should sign Juan Soto next year, and they should be all in on the free agent market right now. That's what I say. What say you? I disagree with you, and I would tell you for a couple reasons. One, as we have seen with uh, the Mets deal for Francisco Lindor, 
as we saw with the Mets deal for, for Johan Santana, as we saw with the Red Sox deal for Mookie Betts, if you're sitting in that position of the Yankees and maybe the Giants are involved, you are in a command position because there's just not going to be a lot of teams that interested. If the Yankees can make a deal for Juan Soto that doesn't involve Anthony Volpe, and I think he's off the table, it doesn't involve Jason Dominguez, uh, it doesn't involve Wells, the catcher, and you're basically working from your B to B-plus list uh, of prospects, heck yeah, I'm doing it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I, I hear you about the potential risk. You know, I talked last week about the perception that Soto took time to adjust in San Diego. San Diego, okay? It, it Like, he struggled in August and September after he got traded out there. And maybe if he got booed next April, it would take him some time to dig out. Maybe he gets hurt, which is a risk for everybody. But I, I think there's so much pressure on the ownership. I think there's so much pressure on the team. If you can get Juan Soto for a Mookie Betts-like trade, you know, a Verdugo, a Connor Wong, people who are not A-plus prospects, I'm absolutely doing it. Does that make more sense? It makes perfect sense when you use the word desperation, when you use the word urgency, when you use the, you know, the, the terms pressure. Because I think Brian Cashman in that front office, Hal Steinbrenner, I think they're operating – in a, on a different plane than they were, well, than they have been in practically any time in the last decade, decade and a half, because the Yankees are coming off of their worst season in quite some time, and the, f- the fan base is out for blood. Like you need to win this offseason. At least that's the way that they're operating, and we know the fan base wants Juan Soto. I'm not a person that believes that the opinions of the fan base and any kind of desperation or urgency should necessitate a a thing like this, especially if it means forfeiting valuable assets for potentially only one year of a player. But I think given the constitution of the front office right now and the the constitution of the roster, if that opportunity presents itself, the Yankees are going to do it, and they're going to wind up pulling the trigger, even though if I were one of the team, I would not. All right. Uh, And I'll just give you a comp as I was thinking about the players. When the Dodgers traded for Mookie Betts, they didn't have to give up Will Smith. They didn't have to give up Gavin Lux. They didn't have to give up Walker Bueller. They gave up essentially the guy, and I can't remember the exact rankings, but like their sixth best prospect. That that makes it more palatable to me. If they were to, if the Padres were to say, well, I'll, I'll just use this name. The other day I had a conversation with a rival executive who put dollar figures on this. He goes, Anthony Volpe, like he's being asked about and is a possible trade piece in this thing. He's got $150 million of value to the Yankees going forward. And Juan Soto has 50 to 60. Of course you don't do that. And that's the sort of math equation that the Yankees are going to do. All right. We've got uh, some other topics. Let's go through them rapid fire. want to get your views on this. Uh, yesterday was one of the first times that I've heard the number three in connection with Yoshinobu uh, Yamamoto. Uh, with an agent telling me he thinks that Yamamoto is going to get $300 million plus. What do you think? I think that Yamamoto is the most attractive pitcher to ever hit free agency buster. And I'm going to numerically give you three reasons why. The first of which is he's just a kid, at least by these standards. At 25 years old, he's logged only 967 professional innings. I looked at the six pitchers in the history of baseball that have signed a free agent contract north of $200 million, or any contract north of $200 million, the average of which had logged nearly 1600 before their contract. So that's how little tread there is on his tire, relatively speaking. Secondly, the Japanese pitcher has been a really shrewd investment for teams almost universally. So by total value, Buster, I looked at the top six free agent pitchers from Japan. That includes Tanaka, 
Senga, Darvish, Kikuchi, Matsuzaka, and Ryu, and Kenta Maeda. Those players to date have been paid $399 million by teams, and according to Fangraphs, produced $676 million in value. By that standard, it's not at all a risk. And the third thing is that we have the stat cast data, and it says that his pitch repertoire is absolutely divine. A fastball that acts like Kevin Gosman's, a curveball that acts like Adam Wainwright's, a splitter that acts like Otani's, and a cutter that acts like Garrett Cole's. So when you consider the age, when you consider the track record of others like him, and you consider the the quantitative stuff that we can do granularly, I, I think this guy's a slam dunk to be one of the 10 best pitchers on the planet right away and should be for quite some time. Well, and again, the, the biggest contract ever for any pitcher is Garrett Cole, $324 million. And I agree with you. When you have the Mets and the Yankees, for the first time ever competing aggressively for the same guy, plus the Dodgers, plus the Giants, plus other big market teams, that number is going to skyrocket because some one of the owners is going to say, look, we need that guy. Uh, you feel like Corbin Burns potentially could be a match for a, one team, and I know Taylor Schwink is going to be excited to hear this. If the Orioles add Corbin Burns, if they trade for Corbin Burns, they become my favorite to win the American League. This was a 100-win club last season, but the one issue they had in the playoffs was the starters. The starters allowed 13 runs in eight innings in the American League Division Series against Texas. I think Corbin Burns, in a contract year, in that ballpark, I think that would provide the Orioles their best pitching season since Mike Mussina at in, since Mike Mussina in 2000. He'll pitch this season at 29. Over the last three years, it's 13 WAR with a sub one WHIP. And I've talked to Orioles fans about this, and a lot of them say they should not do this because we have the prospects to make ourselves a dynasty. To which I say, no, you do this because. You have the prospects. I mean, right now, the American League East is weaker than it has been in my lifetime. This is an opportunity. The Yankees are down. The Red Sox are down. You are up, and you are the Orioles. You seize the moment. You capitalize on the opportunity. And if you add Corbin Burns to your roster, you're representing the American League in the World Series next year. At least that's how I would see it. What do you think? Taylor, what do you think? think John Angelos is running to trade some of his prospects for Corbin Burns. Hembo just knows me so well. Like we're we're very similar. He knows how to press my buttons. So entertaining my Corbin Burns fantasies is just really uh, love you for that. I mean, it would be it would be incredible, and they should do it too. Like they've they've got the they've got the prospects. Like they've got they've got so many infield prospects. Like uh, they're loaded in the outfield. I don't know. Just just knock off a, cu- a couple of them. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Why why wait? Yeah, uh, well, it's better that than do what the Cardinals did, which they have this huge group of position player prospects who are all depreciated over the last three years in terms of what their value was because of the indecision there. Uh, all right, uh, give me 45 seconds in each. Uh, Dylan Cease, one of the names being talked about in the trade market. Where do you see a match there? I love the idea of him going to either the Dodgers or the Astros because I view him as a Cy Young arm for either team. He'll pitch this year at 28. You've got two years of control. In the last three seasons, Buster, it's 667 strikeouts against 437 hits. That is a ridiculous ratio. The command isn't perfect. I view that as a fixable flaw, not a fatal one. I'll send this to you parenthetically, but if you look at the the head-to-head stats, Dylan Cease... Max Scherzer at the exact same junctures of their career. Their numbers are practically identical. I think he is a really good pitching coach and pitching staff away from taking off and being a potential $200 million pitcher in free agency in a couple of years. 
Tyler Glasnow also out on the trade market. You did not connect him with the Orioles. Uh, I personally think if I'm the Dodgers, I'm absolutely making a move, not only sign him for this year, but maybe convince him to stay long-term, close to where he grew up. What do you think about Tyler Glasnow? I think very lowly of Tyler Glasnow, at least in relation to consensus, Buster. He's never thrown more than 120 innings in a season. There are 86 pitchers that have made at least 10 postseason starts. His ERA of 5.72 ranks 84th of those 86 pitchers. That's the issue I have with Tyler Glasnow. I don't know that he's going to pitch. And if he's going to pitch in October, there's a large sample size that says he's not very good there. Now, that doesn't mean it could not change. But when you consider all the things that could go wrong with him mechanically, right, because of his size, and all the things that have gone wrong with him physically, I'm only willing to trade for Tyler Glasnow if the Rays are going to give me, uh, you know, I don't know, him for 50 cents on the dollar, which doesn't seem like a Rays thing to do. All right. So we got to place a side bet on this one, okay? Okay. Who has a better year in 2024, Glasnow or Corbin Burns? Uh, You're taking Corbin Burns, and I'll take Glasnow. Because I think I will say better than mm-hmm. what you're saying. I will say that Corbin Burns will double Tyler Glasnow's war total in 2024. Um, dinner on me if uh, if I'm right. Lunch on you. I if love right, if you're right. <laughs> I love the fact that I'm getting odds in this too. That sounds oh, great, Hembo. You got it. Thank you. Get out of here, Hembo. Right, Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer from MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Pastor. How are you? I'm doing great. So we'll start off with the curveball today. Who would be your final four in the college football playoffs? No, no. <laughs> I refuse. I know everyone is very angry. I understand. I do think. That I feel very badly for FSU, the players, the fans, and the quarterback who basically tweeted out that he feels like it's his fault because his leg got broken. But I mean, I would have Cal and all of the other teams I root for, University of Chicago, so no one wants my top four. Come on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> all right. Let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 157. So since we didn't get a whole lot of moves on day one of the winter meetings, I want to remind everybody how good Juan Soto is because his name is out there in these trade rumors every single day lately. And you know I'll take any chance to talk about Juan Soto. So... The 157 is his career OPS plus entering this season. That is the fifth highest by any player through his age 24 season with a minimum of 3,000 play appearances. And the guys ahead of him are Ty Cobb, Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle, Jimmy, and Jimmy Fox. So, He's in the Hall of Fame territory. We know this. I have seen this note every single year, and he's just so good. That is the reason there are these conversations, and that is the reason that the Padres are looking to really get a lot in return for him, even though he only has one year before free agency. Number two. 
Number two is 771. So another player we've heard a lot about and will continue to hear a lot about until we sign the Shohei Otani. And we've talked about him in so many different ways. And I want to make sure everyone realizes how good of a hitter he is. Even for this year, 2024, this upcoming season, Otani just as a hitter, very likely could win MVP even that way. So this 771 was his slugging percentage against fastballs this year. That was the highest of any player with at least 100 played for him. And the fastballs ahead of Aaron Judge. And that just tells you how good he is. He's also really good against off-scene, against breaking balls. But early in his career, he struggled a bit with fastballs. Not anymore. So good luck to any pitcher in whatever division he finally lands in. Number one. Number one is two. For the position that Dave Roberts told reporters yesterday, Mookie Butts will pretty much play every day in 2024. We saw him play both right field and second base in 2023, but Dave Roberts said he's going to be the everyday second baseman. So last year, he made 77 starts in right field, 62 at segments and 12 at shortstop. He became the first player since 1900 to make at least 60 starts in each of segments and in right field. My favorite stat with him was that in the game, we had outfield assist in a game that he started at second base. So that means Played second, started the game there, and then moved to right field. And still had this. Nobody else had done that in the last 50 seasons. I'm really excited for him and for the Dodgers when this move. We know this is something Mookie Betts has wanted to do. And I think it gives the Dodgers more flexibility. And even though usually the guys get older, they move out to the outfield. This does feel like the next step for Mookie Betts. All right. Now, if I remember correctly, when you met Mookie Betts, that was a statistic you related to him in your conversation, correct? It is. Yeah, that last one about the assess. Very nice. Uh, and last one, as you know, I just love the idea of projecting various lineups with the inclusion of a, you know, a possible uh, addition and I was talking with Tim about the possible addition of Otani to the Blue Jays. And I asked him the question, how he would arrange the top four hitters. Maybe we should go in alphabetical order, okay, just to not uh, to sway the jury on this one. How about we go, we say Bichette, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, Otani, and Springer. How are you arranging those four? Because I told Tim I'd hit Vladdy one. Uh, to get him protection, the benefit of uh, the protection from Otani, I would hit Otani two. Bobichet would hit three because Bobichet's going to swing no matter where he is. He's a lot like Corey Seager. And four, I would have George Springer. How would you arrange them? I mean, I love that. I think no matter what you do, you have to have Vladdy and Otani back to back. 
And I really would want Otani to be too. So by that logic, I guess Vlad becomes a leadoff hitter. We've certainly seen leadoff hitter change a lot over the years. So that wouldn't be totally crazy. I know Springer's hit leadoff in his career, but he was younger then. He was a bit faster then. So I'm not sure I would put him there now. But no matter where you put them, the idea of Vladdy and Otani in the same lineup should make people feel the way we used to think about when the Yankees first got John Carlos and he was healthy and he was a bit younger. The idea of two absolute snack has stand up with him and Aaron Judge, guys who crush the ball. That's the exact same thing you'd be getting. With Vladdy and Otani, I know Vlad had a bit of a down year this past year, but even in that year, he still crushes the ball. And the idea of two guys who do that in the top of that lineup would be really, really, I mean, incredible. And with that lowered wall they have been in Toronto after last year, I mean, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and uh, you you mentioned uh, you know with the Yankees. Uh, to me, if they wound up getting Juan Soto, Soto last year, you know, through his agent Scott Boris, was making it very clear he prefers to hit third. So it would be easy. You hit Judge two, you hit Soto three, um, you know, and whoever's hitting leadoff, whether it's Volpe or DJ LeMay, whoever, boy, that that guy would uh, he, he would be a benefit from a lot of fastballs. I'm sure. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Um, I don't know. Next time you and I talk, I might have to try to pin you down on those college football picks. I'll give it a bit more thought while we went on some moves today. Thanks for having <laughs> me, Buster. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Tuesday. Zach Beeson writes in over the last several weeks, Otani was more likely to sign with the Expos than the Angels. As an Angels fan, I as much as I want Otani to stay, what would compel him to remain in Anaheim? Zach, because he he knows what he has there. He's clearly a creature of habit. Uh, you know, I, I talked during the season uh, about how he has tremendous autonomy within that organization. They basically let him do what he wants, and if they're willing to pay him, you know, as much or more than anybody else, why wouldn't you consider that? Next up, Andrew Campbell writes in Buster of Shohei ends up signing with the Braves or the Rangers. Is the is this the MLB equivalent of Kevin Durant joining Curry and the Warriors in 2016? So, Andrew, just to, yeah, it would be if it were to happen. I will tell you that uh, the whole Otani, the Braves thing, I, I it just makes me shake my head. Uh, you know, I have sources saying that's not possibility. And the Rangers, from all accounts, have dropped out. Chris Young has talked about how they really can't grow their payroll a lot more than what they had last year. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, but I, you're right. It, that would be kind of cool to see uh, Kevin Durant joining, uh, you know, it, it would be cool to see Otani being with the Braves or the Rangers to see the depth of that lineup. Buster, I got a conspiracy theory for you. you yep. You talked about the dog. You talked about the dog last week and with Tim and how they wouldn't give the name. I don't think it's his real dog. I think it was a prop dog. Hey, guess what? You're not the only one who thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that somebody did research and said, you know what? You'll look better. Well, I guess it was the same research that Richard Nixon had in the 1950s when he gave the checker speech. Either one of you remember the backstory to that one? I do not. Okay. Fill us in. Fill us in. Gonna, Come on. I'm History not gonna, Corner. I'm not gonna, 
I'm not gonna not gonna go into uh, to too much depth. Basically, Richard Nixon, who was under a lot of political pressure for mm-hmm. supposedly kickbacks or something like that, he uh, invoked the name of Checkers, his dog, <laughs> who he said that you know the only thing that I've I've gotten free is Checkers, and he's someone who's loved by my daughters, and I'm not giving him back. And it was a very strategic use of a dog in that moment. And you're right with Otani. It was a strategic use. If that's the case, I would tell the person who made that choice, get a life. The guy <laughs> is the biggest free agent in the history of baseball. He doesn't need a dog next to him. He doesn't need a dog. He doesn't need to hide. He should. You, you were and right. If, he, and if, it is, if it is his dog, just tell us a stupid name. Good Lord. Right. Tell us his name is Yoshi. Come on. Whatever. <laughs> I don't, you know, Sparky, uh, you know, Quinny, like the name of my dog, Pickles, the name of our the the neighbor's cat who's staying with us who you heard meowing during the Sarah Langs's <laughs> session. Uh lighten up, Shohei. Let's go to th- yeah, Well, <laughs> I don't even know if it's him. It might be Nez, but it's it's just it's so ridiculous. Good lord. I mean, do you guys agree with what Tim and I were saying? Like, have a little fun. I mean, be right. out. It's a joke. This is this is the time to do that. This is the time to hold court and make it all about you. I mean, I know he likes to make it all about himself and he's kind of doing that by hiding, but he should be more open about it and have people come and, you know, kiss the ring and, you know, bring him gifts and and things like that. Like that would be that would be cool. Or just have fun. You know, and maybe and here how about this? How about going from site to site, join, you know, going to visit the Blue Jays site and said, "Hey, you know what? As I'm here, uh, I'm going to commit $100,000 to the Blue Jays charity. Hey, I'm going to go visit the Giants. I'm going to you know, donate $100,000 to help the homeless in San Francisco. Whatever. I'm just saying there are just so many more productive ways to deal with this, you know, positive ways to deal with this than you know, threatening anybody who talks about his free agency. Give me a break. <laughs> All right. Don Irvine is up next. He's asking about the Orioles landing a frontline pitcher oh if they'll pay. We already had it on that with uh, with Tim. You know, Michael Elias tempering expectations of the press conference yesterday. Really what I like to see in the winter meetings for my team. Uh, Gregory Gregory Gosnell, Carl's Jr. writes in, just booked our yearly baseball trip going to San Fran and Seattle. What do you recommend seeing and doing? And will the athletics still be in the Coliseum? Gregory, I think you made great choices. Uh, look, the ballparks in San Francisco and Seattle, I think, are spectacular. I think, objectively, San Francisco's got the best ballpark in baseball. Um, and I've always thought the ballpark in Seattle was highly underrated. Um, you know, I, I love going down on the water there, uh, which is not far from where the ballpark is. Go down. They've got some great shops. You get some wonderful fruit. Uh, you know, may, if you have a VRBO, maybe you, you cook some fish. It's awesome. I know Sarah Abbott went to Seattle and she went to the Starbucks roastery and got an espresso martini. That was uh, she raved. about. Oh, my God. It was the best day of my life. Wait, Go. was that the day after you called in and said you might have COVID? No. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been. That was a different day. But yeah, <laughs> Starbucks was the best day of my life going to the first original Starbucks. That was yeah. like. You know, the best thing that ever could have happened to me. <laughs> Gregory, go to Alcatraz in San Francisco. That's a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, B-Rad Barber writes in, will the Cubs face any scrutiny from Major League Baseball for not interviewing diverse or minority candidates when they replaced Ross with Council? 
Um, they should. I, I have not gotten an, an official explanation from either Major League Baseball or the Cubs. But to me, if you're going to have this rule, then enforce the rule. And if you're not going to enforce the rule, then don't have the rule. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. <laughs> is it a rule it's, or is it not? It's kind of a joke. It's eyewash. <laughs> right, yeah. By, by not handling it. And I, I look, I understand the, the council thing was kind of a wild card because they already had a manager who was under contract. Uh, but I, you got to follow the rule. I think if you're going to put in a rule to to uh, promote the hiring of minorities, you you got to enforce the dang rule. Enforce the dang rule. Slate writes in with the Reds finally getting some bullpen arms in Martinez and Pagan. What starter starters, if any, do you think they will add to the rotation? Also, what's the likelihood they trade Jonathan India? I think they will trade India. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see if the Red Sox are involved there. He would fit them in a lot of ways. He would be under team control going forward. He's a Boy, he's an intense player, too. I love watching him play. Um, and, and I think they'll just have to wait for some of the bigger names to come off the board in the uh, free agent starting pitching market. The, the good thing is for the Reds that they're probably more available starting pitch or more starting pitching available than any, uh, you know, than there is uh, volume available at any position. And that'll serve the Reds well. Last one for today, Brian Roll, Baseball Brian 5 writes, and what kind of contract do you see Juan Soto getting next offseason? Will he beat the contract the Nationals offered? Good question. So, no, he won't, I don't think. Uh, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. And this is pointed out to me by a very savvy, um, you know, savvy baseball executive who noted that, you know, all the reports are that any team that were to trade for Soto knows that the, the floor to sign him would be $450 million, which is what the Nationals offered. No, in fact, uh, that included years 2023 and 2024. Uh, so any team were to sign him, they would presumably be about $60 million less. But here's the other factor coming into play for Soto. Um, if you've seen his outfield play, it's regressing. The perception is that he's not going to be an outfielder. You're essentially buying a designated hitter for the next 13 years. Are you going to pay a designated hitter $40 million a year? You know, going forward, I, I, I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle for him. Not to say he's ever going to want for food. <laughs> I mean, he's going to get a huge contract. But I, I do think that as time goes on, he's looked at more and more as a full-time DH in his future. Wow. My, 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 how things have changed. All right. Good slate of questions there, Bleacher Tweeters. Thanks for writing yeah. in, everyone. Let's, Love it. We'll be back next Tuesday and possibly sooner if Shohei Otani signs. That's the plan. Yeah, I think we're going to be back sooner. I think there's mm -hmm. going to be a big deal at some point. It's not going to be Yamamoto. He's got to go through the, the process of meeting teams, as we talked about. You know, We'll see if the Padres pull the trigger on Soto. And Otani, the world is waiting for you. And maybe let some people in and just talk about it a little. It's not that hard. Where's the right, dog? That's it for today. Just <laughs> give us the name of the stupid dog. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Sarah, Hembo, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color uh, is something we need to fight against every single day.